0: Let's look in Mark's Gospel. I want to continue talking about healing from a different perspective, though, today. If you've been following along, I've been talking about healing from the standpoint of some things that you can do if you need healing. I want to talk about becoming a healing presence for others today. And I want to start in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 2. It's interesting because most scholars tell us that Mark's Gospel is the first one or the oldest one, not necessarily the first one that was written, but it's the uh, first one of the Gospels that we have in our Bibles that was written. And Mark chapter 1, verse 1, calls it the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And Mark chapter 2, so he doesn't get very far through the, the writing. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it says, uh, let's back up to verse 13 to give it context. Says this, says, then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners who sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him, Notice there were many sinners and tax collectors, which means they were in cahoots with the Romans. If you were a tax collector, you were robbing from the Jews to help the Romans. That's why they were so hated. Still hated today, I suppose, but for different reasons. (laughs) Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, anybody that's been exposed to Western Christianity, Western gospel, and Western preaching will think about righteousness, repentance, and sin in the context of morality and legality. You'll think about it in terms of morality and legality. What's the law that was broken? How does it get rectified? So you think about sin, repentance, and righteousness within the context of law and forgiveness and pardon and behavioral change. It's interesting that in this book that says it's the beginning of the gospel of Christ, it does not introduce sin or righteousness or repentance within that context. It introduces it within a totally different context that makes no sense from a legal moral perspective. Here's what I mean. So we know that it's immoral to lie. How do we know that it's immoral to lie? We know that it's immoral to lie because the Bible says you should not lie. (laughs) Right? So if you lie, I'm trying to pick one we can all relate to since we're not all murderers or adulterers or... Okay, anyway. Does that mean we're all liars? Maybe, I don't know. But you get what I'm saying. So if it says you shouldn't lie, and then you lie, that's the sin according, because you're measured by law. Right? So now... There has to be punishment. Somewhere we introduce that idea there has to be punishment, or maybe there doesn't have to be punishment. or This has to be dealt with under the law. You see the overarching frame is legal. Right? So how is it dealt with? Well, you repent. You say, I'm sorry for telling that lie. I'll never tell another one as long as I live. By the grace of God. Right? And then you are forgiven. And then that becomes a whole construct through which we understand God's dealings with us. Even to the point of our own eternal survival. (laughs) So there's no room for sickness or healing or even being a physician. In another place, Jesus says, those that are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So he's not coming as a judge or presenting himself as a judge. Under a legal context, or moral context, he's presenting himself as a physician bringing a healing paradigm. Which means then, if... Okay, so... If you understand what I just did with the legal part, let me slow down just a little bit. If you understand what I just did with the legal part, the context in which you put the word righteous, sin, and repentance is the context of the law. The law says do not lie. You tell a lie, that's a sin. You can only understand it as a sin within the context of the law. That's what regulates the meaning. Are you with me? If you had to explain what a sin was, somebody who'd never heard the term, sin, I don't know what that means. You have to give it context. Have you ever had a word that you kind of knew, but somebody asks you, what's this word? And you say, put it in a sentence for me. Put it in context for me. And then when they put it in context, you're like, oh yeah, now I remember what that meant. Because the context determines, oftentimes, or governs the meaning. So if you are going to explain to somebody what sin is, then you might say, well, sin is breaking the law. God said, you shall not, lo- you, shall not law. you shall not lie. You tell a lie, that's a sin, you broke the law. You see how the context determines the meaning of the word sin. But Jesus puts sinner and righteousness and repentance not in the context of a judge or a law. He puts it in the context of a physician and healing. Therefore, you have to come up with a completely different meaning for righteousness, sin, and repentance. You have to have a completely different structure. So here's my point. The structure that we apply in the West to those terms is strictly a Western structure that then determines meanings that lead us sometimes to wrong conclusions. And if we go back to the original, see this, this blew my mind 15, 16, 17 years ago. That these things, sin, righteousness, repentance, is not to be understood under a legal paradigm, but under a healing paradigm. Let me tell you how this is different. If you get arrested for breaking a law... What's the first thing that you hear if you've watched enough television? I don't know if it's true because I've never been arrested. Maybe some of you can tell me if it's really how it goes down. But at least in in TV and the movies, what's the first thing you hear when the person's been arrested? You have the right to what? Remain silent keep going. Anything you say can and will, will be used against you in the court of law. So what are they telling you? It's in your best interest to share as little as possible. Right? So when you go before the, any representative, not even just a judge, because you open your mouth to the cops, you're going to be in trouble too, I guess. Right? You have a right to an attorney, all that stuff. So you want to zip it. They tell you right up front, zip it. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you watch these like 48 hour shows or whatever, the real crime dramas, and the people are spilling their guts. You know, and it's just, Right? So that context governs your behavior with your problem. Your problem is you broke the law, what do you need to do? Zip it. Do not confess your sins to the priest of the government, right? Right? Now, try that approach with your doctor. You got a different problem. You got a lump growing somewhere that it shouldn't. Right? And maybe you got some other symptoms or whatever. You go to the doctor. You're sitting there thinking, doctor comes in, well, how you been? I'm good. (laughs) Well, what brings you in? I don't know. You brought me in. (laughs) Well, you got any symptoms? Nope. (laughs) Well, can we take a look? No, not really. (laughs) You get it? No, what do you do? I mean, especially if you went to Dr. Insert your name. I go to drarin.com all the time. Google my symptoms. WebMD Rare Disorder, National Order of Rare Diseases. There is there is actually a website. Nord, National Order of Rare Diseases. How do I know? Because <laughs> I've diagnosed myself at least five times with a rare disease. Turns out it was just I didn't eat breakfast that morning and I had low blood sugar, but <clears throat> so if you're like that, and you have real symptoms, you, you've already, you've already Googled it, man, and you want, you want the doctor, you want to be thoroughly, I like getting checkups, cause I want to be thoroughly checked out to know, there ain't no problems, cause I sleep better at night. You know what I mean? Do my blood work, check everything. But if I have a problem, symptom in my body, I'm gonna fully disclose. You, you see the difference? Okay, that, kind of a weird metaphor there, but, anyway. <laughs> Jesus, help me. (laughs) You get the difference? Confess your sins one to another. The Bible says in James, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, the goal of the judge in regards to sin is punishment. The goal of the physician in regards to sin is healing. Healing. Your problem is not that you're wrong and you need to be punished for it. Your problem is that you have an ailment that keeps showing up as a pattern in your life that you need to be healed from so that you can have life. Totally different paradigm. Under the one paradigm of law then, you come up with eternal conscious torment, punishment for punishment's sake. Under a healing paradigm then, that's that. this is how I worked out over a span of 15 years a totally different understanding of salvation that I discovered later was more original to the early church than what we hear today. This one verse that we need to understand sin and righteousness and repentance within the context of a physician and healing rather than within the context of a judge and who's going to be pay, who's going to pay and who's going to be punished for it. What is the point of punishment for punishment's sake? There are two different kinds of justices. At least two different kinds. (laughs) But there's two ways to approach justice. In our Western frame, all justice is punitive. If you do something wrong, you have to pay. You have to... it's It's retributive. Retribution. Retribution means... Getting you back or paying for what you did? Tribute. If you think about paying tribute, right? Retribute. Pay for what you did. So you speed? What do you have to do? Speeding? Have y'all never got a speeding ticket? Jesus, I'm with some righteous people. <clears throat> Nobody's ever been arrested. Nobody's ever had a speeding ticket. Nobody tells a lie. <clears throat> y'all are well. Bring me some sick people. <laughs> what do you do? If you get a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. Or, well, that reminds me, I have a parking ticket I have to pay. Parking ticket, what do what, what I have to pay? What, it, what does one have to do with the other? I'm just curious. Okay, yeah, you broke the law, but what does paying cash for something have to do with, what, with traffic? Or the fact that I was parked too long in a spot because I... Forgot. I was parked there. What does one have to do with the other? Absolutely nothing. So somebody didn't get their parking space, so I pay the county? I mean, okay, let's say I did this. I didn't, but let's say I did this. You're a bad person if you do this. You are a really bad person if you do this. I did not do this. But let's say you went to the store and you took up the handicap parking because you were in a hurry. And you're not handicapped. And you don't have a sticker. And you don't have a thing on your license plate. You're a bad person. But you were in a hurry. You couldn't find a place to park. And you took the handicap parking. And you ran in. And what did what you know? The Somebody driving by marking and tires and sees you parked in the handicap parking and writes you a parking ticket. But what you didn't know was that somebody that needed it, really needed it, because they had to get their medicine. Let's just make it as dramatic as we possibly could. They had to get their insulin. They're an in insulin shock. <laughs> They gotta get their insulin right now and, and you're at Walmart and they gotta get into the pharmacy and they can't, they can't find a place to park because you took their parking spot. Now who, who, where's the injustice? Think about it, where's the injustice? The injustice is to the whom, (laughs) whose parking space you took. And, and, and that person called the police. And the cop showed up and wrote you a parking ticket. Do you pay the person that you wronged? Where's the justice? Who do you pay? You pay the court. Where's the justice? But we call that just because you paid for what you did. Somebody does something wrong. Pick, pick your crime. Pick your crime. Well, let's stay stay away from the big ones because they're too emotionally loaded. But somebody lands in prison. So somebody, let's say they steal from you, steal a bunch of stuff from you, whatever. And they land in prison. I don't don't know if people go to prison for stealing anymore, but let's just say they do. They go to prison. Who's feeding them? Who's taking care of their medical? But But they are paying for what they did. Well, but they're being punished. But nothing's happened to restore anything. Your stuff didn't come back. Heck, the, the, the police department took some of your stuff for evidence so that the DA could show it in court, and then they lost it. You don't know where it is. They recovered your stolen merchandise, but it went into evidence, and you haven't seen it since. Right? I don't, this is not where I thought this message was going to go. I'm just going to say that right now. This is not how I thought this was going to go down when I was preparing it. But... Yeah, yeah, okay. So that that person is paying you back by not being a part of society anymore and by not being able to be with their family. And that helped you how? How did that help you? Okay, let's go to the extreme end. So somebody murders somebody, so then they die in capital punishment, but you still are grieving the loss of the person that you lost, and now, I mean that person, I, I'm not, not trying to be controversial, I'm just trying to show the difference. Now that person, okay, they lost their life, we say that's fair, but we forget about all the other people that weren't involved in the crime, who now are experiencing the same pain that you are experiencing, who did nothing to you. We don't think about them. Moms and children and whatever else is involved. But they're punished. Punishment for punishment's sake. What good does it do anybody? That's called retributive justice, and that's the basis of our entire society, from a parking ticket to a capital crime. The whole spectrum. There's a different kind of justice that's called restorative justice. Where things are restored. Or reconciled. Where the system is set up to work that way. Really, to a large degree, even the Torah... The law that was given to Israel is set up on a restorative basis rather than retributive. When when they said an eye for an eye, that was not advocating, well, he took your eye, you need to go get his. It was trying to put limitations because our human nature is you hurt me one time, I'm going to hurt you back seven times. To teach you not to ever do that again. So God set an eye for an eye to keep you from going the full seven. Gouge out the eye, break the nose, and bust the testicles so they can't go to the worship service. Just, I didn't know if you knew that was in the Bible. <laughs> like, that's literally in the Bible. If, well, anyway. I mean, the part, if you have a damage to, if you're male, anatomy gets damaged, you can't go to the temple. It sucks for you. I mean, it's bad enough to cut damage in the first place, but <laughs> now you're excommunicated from worship. I don't know. Go figure. But that's okay, ladies, because you're excommunicated once every month. So there's some crazy stuff in the Bible. I just love to mess with religious folk. That pick, you know, this particular sin is an abomination. Look, God said this is an abomination. Yeah, well, God said you can't wear cotton polyester. True, you can't blend your fabrics. Do you know that? You can't blend your fabrics, saints. So if you want to pull out this verse over here is an abomination, then I just want you to know, if you're not 100% cotton today, like me, <laughs> you are a sinner under the Bible. No, it's true. Absolutely true. Did you know, uh, how many, how many you ever had? A cheeseburger. Let me see raise your hand. How many like cheeseburgers? Did you know all y'all are guilty under the law? you All y'all are sinners. I see. I'm bringing out that southern Bible belt thing. All, all y'all, all y'all are sinners because you cannot blend your meat and your dairy. That's in the law. You can't do it. You can't do it. I'm just telling you it's in the Bible. So if you're wearing cotton polyester. See we we nobody mentions those. You get a tattoo, they pull up some obscure verse out of Leviticus. "Ah, oh, you shall not mark your body. That's an abomination to the Lord." Well, so is cotton polyester. So is your cheeseburger. I mean if we're going to be consistent in the law, let's be consistent in the law. am I right? And all y'all kosher people, you can't keep the law either. And all y'all you, you, oh, where am I going? <laughs> all, all y'all keeping the feasts because you had to keep the feast in Jerusalem. It does you no good to have Passover with your family around April. Cuz you had to do it in Jerusalem at the temple. Oh, last time I checked they didn't have a temple. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So therefore, we're still under the law. Only there's a huge portion of the law, like animal sacrifice and keeping the feast and all that stuff stuff you're doing, where you're having your Passover Seder. That's not keeping the feast. You had to keep the feast according to what was written in Jerusalem. I mean, where does the thinking go? Anyway, back to retributive justice. So, I don't know how I got off on that. Retro, not, cause they're smashed testicles. Crazy stuff in the Bible, alright. So, so an eye for an eye is meant to limit you. There's crazy stuff in the Bible, I'm just saying. Oh, we gotta, we gotta go on Saturday, we gotta go to church. I, I'm sorry, I just have to poke fun. We gotta go to church on Saturday, because Saturday is the Sabbath. Never mind that the calendar has gone through so many changes, we can't even trace back what the original Sabbath was. It could have been Tuesday for all we know but no we're got to go on saturday okay well did you know you couldn't travel outside of your town location on the sabbath so you better find a local church so if if you are from pueblo west you can't go to pueblo to go on the sabbath and if you're from pueblo you can't come to pueblo west that's in the bible same book that says homosexuality is an abomination. Same book that says you shouldn't get tattoos. But we just cherry pick. Are you breathing? Yep. You, you, Alright. <laughs> Back to an eye for an eye. So an eye for an eye was there to limit retribution. Not encourage it. Not say it's a good thing. Restorative justice is this. If someone steals from you, they pay you back. So under the law, if somebody stole from you, they didn't go to jail and then you pay to keep them in jail through your taxes. (laughs) They steal from you and you keep paying for them. But they're being punished. So that's justice. But under the law, if they stole from you and they were caught, depending on the level of theft, they had to restore either four times what they took or seven times what they took. Now, the person who's actually the victim is getting something. Here's the sad thing. You can be a victim of a sexual assault that destroys you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually and leaves you with post-traumatic stress disorder and the government will spend thousands of dollars to punish the person who assaulted you and not spend a dime to help you heal or get better. Restorative justice would take government resources and funnel it into repairing The damage that was actually done to the victim. Because restorative justice focuses on the crime and the people involved in it. Retributive justice just focuses on the act and punishment for punishment's sake. Now, if you could create your own society and make it work, which kind of justice would you prefer? Of course. We would all say restorative justice, right? But you live in a world of retributive justice. Now, here's the thing. You think that God created an entire universe to operate off of retributive justice instead of restorative justice. And then try to fit righteousness, sin, and God's framework with humanity within what you know of justice from a retributive perspective. And think that was God's idea for the whole universe. But you just all just said, most of you raised your hand and said, if I could create a world, I'd create it on restorative justice. Are you better than God? So we say, okay, here's a set of laws. You broke these laws. Now you have to be punished for punishment's sake. And the worst law that you could break is 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 not believing in an event that you never saw happen. You never talked to anybody that saw it happen. You didn't believe that Jesus died on that cross for your sins. And you didn't believe... That he was raised from the dead for your salvation, so therefore, you're gonna be punished, kept alive, for all eternity, with the worst tortures and pains imaginable, cause you were wrong. That's really what religion teaches us, gang. Think about this. I mean, this really got to me when I thought about this when I was doing the series on hell. And if you haven't seen that, I'd encourage you to watch it. It's on, it's on YouTube. Because it's not biblical. I don't believe in hell anymore, not because it's sentimentality. I don't believe in hell anymore because I actually studied what the scriptures say about hell. It was the Bible that convinced me. (laughs) And logic. Because even just now, you said you'd rather have a restorative universe than a retributive universe, but most of us believe in a God and a, who exercises justice in a form of retribution or punishment for punishment's sake and not restoration. And I'm telling you what Jesus said here destroys that paradigm because physician and healing is all about restoring the person involved, not punishing them for the sake of punishment. That the entire T of salvation and God's dealings is the repairing of the world. See, the Jewish people, they actually get it. drives me nuts when Christians say, well, they're not born again. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They get it better than you do. I'm sorry, they just do. Because there is a term in Judaism called tikkun. And tikkun means the reparation of the world. It means something's broken, something's sick, Something's wrong and we need to go to work to repair it and restore it, not punish it and destroy it. But we have a God who's going to destroy the whole thing. I'm not saying we, I'm just saying Western religion has taught us a God who's going to destroy the whole thing in a nuclear holocaust. right? Right after Jesus snatches a few of us out of here, if we believe all the stuff we're supposed to believe. And then everybody that didn't, they just, they, they, they go into God's torture chamber. And so here's God's torture chamber. God's torture chamber is the kind of torture chamber where there's no anesthesia and there's no death to set you free from the torment. See, this is what really got to me when I was doing this series on hell. Saw a movie, a law-abiding citizen. You wanna, you wanna see retributive justice. You wanna see why God put an eye for an eye. Just go see (laughs) law-abiding citizen. It's not a true story. It's very, Fantastical, but it speaks to the impulse that we have for retributive justice because really retributive justice is our justice. It's our natural animal inclination. We got hurt and we want to hurt back. And that's why we think God is that way because we have projected our own shadow self onto God and called it God when it wasn't God. But in Law Abiding Citizen, this guy uh, gets... Uh, Spoiler alert. <laughs> his, his family, uh, wife and daughter, get killed in front of him. And he plans out this revenge, retribution. And he finds one of the guys involved. And he takes him to an old abandoned warehouse. And he ties him up. And I'm going to be graphic. He puts a mirror in front of him so he can see everything. And he cuts his eyelids off so that he can't close his eyes. And then he has certain drugs that he's gotten from the hospital and he says, these drugs here, when you pass out from the pain, they're going to revive you. And then he takes his time with just all these little things to pain and then keeps reviving them so he can keep experiencing pain. What do you, what do you think of, I mean, forget about the movie, what do you think about that? What do you think about somebody who's so bent on dishing out pain to a human being that they're going to find ways to revive you when your own natural system shuts down and says, I can't take it anymore. They're going to find a way to revive you. Oh, yeah, but this person killed his wife and daughter. Okay, well, let's do it this way then. Let's say that you did that because of a person's race. Let's say you just didn't like somebody. Here's somebody, not you, but here's somebody who just doesn't like somebody. Let's let's just pick on white supremacists. Whatever version, Nazi, KKK, whatever you want. And they just thought, I don't like a person because of the color of their skin, because of their creed, because whatever. Let's say color of the skin because you can change creeds. And so I'm just going to take that person because I don't like the color of their skin, and I'm going to inflict pain on them for who they are, and then because I want to really get them, I'm going to keep reviving them over and over again with these drugs so I can keep inflicting more pain. Okay. So now we have a version of God that how many evangelicals will tell you you don't go to hell? How many in the western, you, God doesn't send you to hell for your sins. God sends you to hell for rejecting Jesus. What do you mean rejecting Jesus? Well, not believing that he died on the cross for your sins or that he was raised from the dead. Well, how do I know that he was? Well, the Bible says. Yeah, but the Bible also tells me I can't wear cotton polyester. The Bible also tells me I can't eat a cheeseburger. Yes, but you have to believe it. Okay, so I, so essentially I can go out and murder and rape and maim and well, live selfishly, but as long as I pray the prayer, I'm, I'm in prison um, wherever I am, I'm on my deathbed, but I pray the prayer, Psh, I'm good. Because it's been wiped out in the books of heaven. And so now I go I go to heaven, somebody else lived a basically decent life, did the best they could, but they just weren't convinced or persuaded by your testimony, or by the TV preachers that they heard, or the Chick Tracks that they found in the toilet paper. Anybody ever? <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm serious. So just, I, I didn't know. You don't remember Chick Tracks? Oh my God, you guys aren't even saved. You guys aren't even Christians. (laughs) If you don't know what a Chick track is, you you just... Oh my... I knew we should have done that course on evangelism. They're published by a guy named Jack Chick and they're little newspaper looking things and they're cartoon things. And you'll find them sticking on your windshield. And I thought, nobody's done Chick tracks in 30 years and just like last month, one of my coworkers. Brings in this chick track that she found in the toilet paper and the bathroom on the university. That's all about how she's going to hell and she needs to receive Jesus. And and she threw it at me. And she said, she said, I'm already in hell. And if God doesn't like me, I'm not too fond of God either. Yeah, that chick track was real effective. But that's the. But okay, so you have somebody who. Who and, and this person is a wonderful person does all kinds of generous stuff and great stuff for people but she didn't believe the chick track and obviously she's had a lot of pain in her life because she said I've already been in hell and maybe she didn't believe me either because I'm a little bit off my rocker just ask there are plenty of people out there will tell you I am so she stands before God well bless God this person over here who just lived selfishly and did everything, they, they, they believed the chick-track. But you, you didn't believe in an event or a person you never met or couldn't see or didn't meet anybody who actually was there for the events. Or you were born in the wrong culture. And so now, you're gonna go into a torture chamber where you're going to be inflicted with the worst pain imaginable, but that's not enough. God is gonna keep you alive and fully conscious so that he can just keep inflicting more and 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 more torture. And that's what we give our money to. That's what we devote our time to. That's what we go out and tell people. And if we get people to pray the prayer, we feel like we really accomplished something great. And it feeds our ego, and that's about all it does. And I know people are sincerely minded, but really, is that the God you want to believe in? Is it really? A God who set the whole universe up on retributive justice and the ultimate of retributive justice is you didn't believe in a historical event. So now, therefore, you're going to be revived over and over and over and over and over and over over again. So that this group over here is singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. And this group's over here. We've been screaming in pain and agony for 10,000 years and we've no less days to scream in pain than when we first began. See, we sing this and we get all sentimental and stuff. We don't think about the flip side of that. But see, that's punitive, retributive justice. And that makes sense if Jesus says, I'm the judge. And I've called sinners before the bar of God's justice. So you have a right to remain silent in anything you say. Canon will be used against you. But God's like George Orwell's big brother, eye in the sky. He sees everything, not only what you did, but what you think. And what you thought about doing, but didn't do because you didn't have opportunity. Oh yeah, and by the way, to come back to the racial comment that I used a minute ago, because I'm sure that made no sense to you. Because you see, you were all born sinners. You are all born sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, so I can't keep the law. I can't do what's right. Not because I don't want to, but because of who I am. Because of the way I was born. So now God hates me because of the, the color of my heart. But He made me that way. So now he's going to keep me alive and torment me for all eternity for that. Think about it, Saints. This was not at all how I thought this message was going to go. Just, that's my like little disclaimer at the bottom. But what if God's just? But see, that's, that's, that's the whole framework it's built upon. God cannot be just. How can God be just and loving at the same time? Because we presuppose, built into our concept of justice, is retribution. Well, God's not just if he doesn't punish the sinner. You mean to tell me Hitler didn't go to hell? you know, we... we oh, I can't do that. Yeah, I can. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it. There are certain people who take our natural, some of our natural human urges to such an extreme that they show us what we also have the potential of becoming. And then we deny that some of those same impulses are in us and we vilify them as completely other than us with our sense of justice and that's why we can't have compassion. Here's what I mean. All of us are born with tendencies to not like people who are different than us. All of us are born as part of our natural human tendencies that we are supposed to deal with and overcome. (laughs) To, to want to inflict people that we believe are the reason that we're in the situations that we're in. All of us have that. If you don't have that, you're not really awake. <laughs> you don't understand those impulses. They might be small. They might be small impulses. Your impulse may be just to avoid someone that's not like you. Your impulse may be to just gossip or talk about them. Or, or group a group up as that's them and this is us. So you didn't take it to the nth degree. Do you, you understand what I'm saying? But that impulse is in us. So someone else who cultivated that impulse, who was deceived by the impulse, who, who knows what was broken and wrong in their soul? Who knows? I haven't got a clue. Not a clue. But somehow we find these certain... Things, and we think, well, they should be denied any grace, any redemption, any opportunity at change or growth. Not me, because my sins are little. I should be, I should be forgiven. I should be given mercy. I should be given opportunities to change and to grow. But there are certain ones that we limit and say, no, that should be denied to them throughout all eternity, because look at what they did. But you don't understand. The same impulse was in you. It, you just cultivated your life differently than they did. Not saying at all what they did was right. But I'm saying, in what world does it make sense that whatever a person did in their 50, 60, 70 years of life, that God should keep them alive and keep torturing them when he gave you those impulses to begin with? Okay. Maybe we should call this one the logic of religion. What if the paradigm's totally different? What if we got in this mess? Who knows? Who knows why we're in this world of polarity and have the struggles that we have? Why did God leave as much darkness in creation as He left light? You ever thought about that? <laughs> the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. Well, the one thing you know about the heaven, it's equally dark and equally light. Equal polarities. And guess what? God put polarities in us too. Who knows why? I mean, we can philosophize about it and theorize about it and talk about it and give our opinions and all that stuff, but at the end of the day it's our opinion but the issue becomes do we believe that our creator and our savior is out to just punish everybody for what's wrong for the sake of punishment or is there some is there some repairing of the world is there some fixing and healing so let's come back to our liar (laughs) let's come back to the person who lies Legal, the legal law, the legalistic model just says, you did the action, it's against the law, you did the action, you got to be punished, that's a sin, you have to repent for it, the action. The restorative model or the healing model looks deeper at that and begins to examine what was the cause, what was going on inside the soul of the person that was causing them to do those things in the first place. I I hate to even bring this up, but I'm going to. Because for whatever reason, God just has me like exposing our shadows right now. I don't know why. I had no intention of doing this, so I'm just rolling with it. You can say I'm blaming him, whatever. But I think I'm, I'm sure that we all agree that sexual crimes, any kind of a sexual crime, against a child cannot be allowed in our society. We have a responsibility to protect our children. If individuals are struggling with that, they have a responsibility to put that in check and get help and whatever the case may be. And it's easy to vilify that behavior under this model And just say they should be punished and sent away. Right? But what happens when you sit down and talk to someone convicted of that crime and they begin to tell you their story and you find out that they were offended on when they were eight or nine years old by an uncle and it's, and it's male. I I can't even imagine, because I was never a victim of sexual abuse, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Let me just say, I can only imagine what that would be like. And the uncle was perpetrating it over and over and over again. And so, this individual has the opportunity to go on a Boy Scout trip. The Boy Scouts are great, right? (laughs) Surely you can trust your boy scout troop leader and he opens up to the boy scout troop leader who's also an offender and realizes he's found an easy victim and instead of finding healing or restoration he gets perpetrated on again and then grows up sort of in the free love time of the 60s and just thinks everything's okay and somehow out of his own pain and trauma and upbringing and warped sense of... I mean, you would think if you got perpetrated on, you wouldn't do that. But what you don't realize is a child never, seldom... seldom does a child have the intellectual capacity and the moral sensibility to blame the perpetrator and not blame themselves. Oftentimes, the victim that is an adult will blame themselves. I shouldn't have gone to that party. I shouldn't have worn a dress that was so short. I shouldn't have had alcohol that night, as though somehow their actions were the cause of the crime that was committed against them. And I'll never forget talking to this person who was a perpetrator, and I'm not justifying it. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm going where angels fear to tread. But I'll never forget he looked at me and he said, Where was the justice when I was the victim? And this guy, he was far enough along in his treatment and stuff. He wasn't trying to validate his behaviors. He wasn't trying to justify his behaviors and whatever. There was none of that coming across in the conversation. It was just a genuine look of hurt, and he said, Where was the justice? when I was a victim. And see, that's the problem. Because retributive justice does nothing for the victim. Restorative justice would focus on the victim. So why does the person lie? (laughs) Why does the person lie? Maybe because when they told the truth too much when they were a kid, they got into too much trouble and it caused them too much pain and they realized if I fudge the truth, it doesn't hurt as bad. And maybe they can't quit lying because they can't quit hurting. And maybe Jesus, who was God manifested in the flesh, came to say, What can we heal to fix the problem instead of what can we punish to fix the problem? And if that's his motivation here, how can that not be his motivation? throughout eternity we're inconsistent maybe God wants you to see under this thing you try to hide your sin even from yourself because my god nobody wants to go to that torture chamber nobody wants to have to face a God that's that Angry So, even to myself, when I'm under that system, I'm telling myself, consciously or unconsciously, I have the right to remain silent. Anything I say can and will be used against me. (laughs) But over here, you can come without any shame. I mean, hopefully, if you have a growth on your body, a tumor somewhere, Shame does not keep you from telling the doctor about the problem and getting the help that you need so that you can be healthy. I would hope that's the case. But over here, shame will keep you from getting the help that you need. Fear will keep you from getting the help that you need. But over here, when you understand, I'm coming to the great physician. I have nothing to fear. The great physician has nothing but the best for me. Nothing but my best interests at heart. And He bore my suffering. (laughs) He participated in my suffering. He felt my pain. Surely He has borne (laughs) my griefs and carried my sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken of God and afflicted. God punished him. See, over here, the the issue is how can God be just and loving at the same time? How can he forgive sin and let sin go unpunished? Because you already have built-in presuppositions that justice is the same as punishment for punishment's sake. Well, then God had to punish his own son so that he could forgive you. makes perfect sense. But if you change that governing frame, everything means something different. It doesn't make any sense anymore. So maybe it wasn't God striking him so he could forgive you. Maybe it was him participating in your sorrows and participating in your griefs, and 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 saying, "Look, you can find God in the darkness ever bit as much as you can find God in the light." Whatever transgressions were there, they're in Him. <laughs> Whatever darkness there, He's there. And maybe until you can find God in your shadow, until you can find God in your darkness, you can't really be whole. You can't really be healed. And you can't really be a servant of the light. Because ultimately it boils down to, do you want to be a servant and a child of God? (laughs) And by servant, I'm not talking about serving God from this kind of enslaved mentality, I'm talking about the love of God flowing through you and you being so in touch with the pain of humanity that you cannot sit still. I had a friend that told me how enlightened he was because he's one now with creation. He's one now with the universe. I said, really, that must be overwhelming. Oh, no, it's great. It's the most ecstatic feeling in the world. Really? Then you aren't one. (laughs) Because if you really were one with everything you'd be one with the poor you'd be one with the victims you'd be one with the aliens the humankind that are in cages you wouldn't be able to handle it if you really experienced it because you'd be just as much one with the darkness as you would with the light And that's actually what Christ did. So that you can find him in the dark, and you can find him in the light. And you don't have to, like Adam, put on fig leaves and hide yourself from the presence of the Lord who wants to walk with you after your fall in the cool of the day. Very radical. It's a radically different way to think and a radically different way to live. But if you had to create a world, if you had to create a plan of salvation, which one would you choose? All right, let's stand up. Well, not at all how I thought that was going to go. Like, I don't enjoy doing this, like, just so you know. Like, I know it it seems like I do, but I just... But... For whatever reason, you know, the Lord just has me on this path right now. So, those of you that get it, cool. Those of you that are being don't get it, but you're still being supportive, I love you. (laughs) Like, really, really, really love you. Just close your eyes for a minute and just open up your heart. want you just take a moment and just think about what would how would your view of reality change if instead of it being based on retributive justice it really is based on restorative justice would you forgive <laughs> Would you bless? Would you be able to forgive those that hurt you? Would you be able to bless those that are your enemies? And maybe most importantly, would you be able to have compassion and grace for yourself? And what if that's the mind of God? What if that really is the mind of God? So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit that comes and heals our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you come as the great physician. That you come as mender and reconciler and lover and healer and redeemer. Of all of humanity, of all of us. And however it works out, Lord, I believe that you won't stop until... (laughs) It's kind of crazy, huh? We celebrate soldiers for their motto, no man left behind believe in a God that leaves 90% of humanity behind? What if you believed in a God that just said nobody gets left behind in this thing? And then you just trust Him with that process to be good and to be just, to be fair. I think that's the reality of who God is. God bless you. (laughs) Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming today. Amen.